Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Awesome. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. It's 2024, and this is our very first episode for the year. Hello, B. I'm so glad that it's on Thrush. Like, what a way to start 2024. You know, I thought... It's just going to keep getting better. (laughs) I mean, it's going to start from down there and just move up. I just feel like everyone has probably eaten too much sugar and really challenged their body over Christmas, New Year's. And maybe... Now they're itchy. Now they're itchy. And this is the episode to like... Let's air our vaginas out. Let 2024 be the year of airing our vaginas. Airing your vaginas, it's, yeah. Bringing back the balance. Well, mostly at the start of the year, it's all about returning to balance. We were really motivated to to come back into alignment and reassess what's right for them. So let's reassess what's right for your vagina and bring your vagina back into balance because that's what thrush is, right? It's that out-of-balance experience for the vagina, which most of us, experience over Christmas that out of balance time like our vaginas are often a victim of that they're not immune to the overstimulation of and also here in Australia it's very hot and sweaty and summery so all the very hot and sweaty vaginas and they're all out of balance and we've eaten too much sugar and we haven't had enough nutrition and now we're itchy and then I haven't had thrush for a really long time and then last year I had it again for this little period and uh, so I feel like I can really bring a lot to this episode because it's huge. It's really encompassing. Like an itch is a really encompassing thing. It's consuming. Is that That's the word I want to use. It's consuming. It does. It consumes you because, yes, so irritating. And I feel like I can bring a lot to this. Okay, New Year, we're not going to. We're still going to keep oversharing. So just if you're new to the episode, to this whole podcast, sorry, the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, B and I don't really have filters. So you're going to learn everything. Yes, my very first pregnancy was basically like I think I had more thrush than not through that pregnancy and I had to work really hard. It reoccurred in my next pregnancy And I managed to completely overcome it with some amazing strategies that I'm going to share with you. I can't wait to hear about all I'm thinking about is me when I was pregnant with my first rocking up to the chemist and being like, I've got worms. What can I do? And she was like, you haven't got worms. You're just pregnant and not wiping your bum properly. (laughs) What happened? I was like, what? I just always thought an itchy bum meant worms. And she's like, no, you're probably, she's like, it could be. But the reality is most women, so I just wanted to bring this in because whilst thrush is vaginal, itchy anuses I feel like increase in pregnancy and there's not enough airtime for itchy anuses. And it can be 
episode. Hey, probably needs its own episode. Itchy, itchy anus bumps. Yeah, let's have an. Let's make 2024 the year of all the itchiness. But no, she was like, I get this. Many women come in and and think they've got worms, but you just get bigger and less able to wipe, and probably a little bit more lazy. And you're actually leaving some poo there. And it's as you were talking about your thrushing pregnancy, that's a flashback I got of me waddling into this into this chemist learning how to wipe my bum properly. You know, yeah, okay. Welcome back, everybody. 2024, itchy vaginas, itchy bottoms, whatever it is. But today we're going to concentrate on thrush during pregnancy. And um, this is the perfect time because maybe half the pregnant women. Go, yes, finally. And all the poor midwives who were trying to give advice are uh, just cheering. Maybe it should have come sooner, but here we are. Right, thrushing pregnancy. Let's do this. So, firstly, I'm going to kick off by talking about the vaginal microbiome. There's a lot of information out these days about the gut microbiome. So, we all know that our gut, well, hopefully, we all know. If you don't, great, this is a great episode for you that our gut and our our body, our skin, our ears, our nose, our body is colonized by this good bacteria that helps us maintain health. Basically, we're a tree and there's a whole lot of stuff growing on and in us. Well, and I want to market us today as a garden, okay? And our garden is lush and full of a diverse plants and this is important because I'm into permaculture and a good healthy garden has a diversity of plants some feed the soil some take from the soil some attract good bugs some attract you know all kinds of things anyway and every garden needs comfrey that's what every I learned from my husband did comfrey. doing permaculture <laughs> it's like he gets so excited about comfrey everything's got a purpose same thing with our body's microbiome and our gut has it But today we're going to talk about our vaginal microbiome because this is where we, I mean, we're dealing with vaginal thrush today in pregnancy. So let's just firstly point out that your vagina has a microbiome. It's super important, super delicate, very diverse, uh, but it does change during pregnancy because we're a little bit hormonally governed when we're women and it changes things like vaginal ph and all kinds of things bees like not pretend that we're a little bit i'm sick of pretending that we don't have ovaries and hormones like very world requires us to pretend that these things don't exist we're not a little bit we're a lot hormonally governed for a good reason a really good reason like that's that's the garden keeper. The hormones are like the garden keeper. They understand what needs to be there for that season. Yeah. That was the best analogy ever. I'm so glad that was recorded. <laughs> I'll keep it. It aligns with my uh, analogy that I'm going to go with so it can stay. Uh, so, yes, let's all just acknowledge that we have a vaginal environment. We have a vaginal garden full of diverse bacterias and all kinds of by biome it's a vaginal microbiome now it how it's balanced impacts the ph of our vaginas and when you lower the ph that can keep certain bad bugs if we're going to call them at bay and maintain the balance and the predominant growth in our vaginas is the lactobacilli strains 
and they help with the maintenance of appropriate pH in the vagina. And when these are out, they give way to growth and infection. And this microbiome is our body's own defense system. So if you think about it as part of the immune system, keeping bad bugs at bay at a manageable level, if they're out of whack, then things like, so thrush is what what some people will call, or if you if you're looking into thrush, um, it could be called can uh, candidiasis, candidiasis. It's a weird word, or candida infection, or a yeast infection, and they call it that because it's usually due to an overgrowth of candida albicans. There are other candida bugs that aren't albicans, but the albicans is the most likely cause of vaginal thrush. So we'll call it thrush, but it could be called various other things, yeast infections, candida. If you think also about your microbiome as your immune system in this regard, is that if your microbiome is out of balance and doesn't have what it needs to be healthy, then you're going to get an overgrowth of an, of unhealthy bacteria. So the balance is going to all be out. And if we consider in this case, candida albicans or thrush, almost like weeds popping up in your garden, they will actually compete with and challenge the things that are growing there. And unless the things that are growing there can actually grow and thrive and become more healthy, they don't have the capacity to suppress the weeds. I guess what I'm trying to get across is that dealing with thrush is a slow burn treatment. It's not like a common cold where your body will just overcome it by itself. And, you know, if you just rest a little bit uh, that, you know, in a week or so you can expect to be better. Thrush is not like that. You need to do something. You can't just sort of go, well, well, let's just see what happens. Maybe my body will get on top of it. It won't. I'm sorry unless you actually do something because it's a symptom of imbalance in your microbiome. So how do you diagnose it? How do you know if you've got thrush? And I feel like this is part of the problem is that women will tolerate some symptoms and not actually seek out a diagnosis. Or perhaps not even be so aware of them or maybe aware of them but too hard basket, don't want to go there, let's just pretend it's not happening. Like I was incontinent for like 12 years before I decided to do something about it. Like we typically, we have, we have a lot of grit and because we have to often pretend that nothing's going on with our hormones or our body, we're very good at gritting along and doing that. But I remember last year, the first sign I got, I was like, hmm, that my vagina smells different. It didn't smell offensive. It wasn't itchy yet, but there was a change. And I, I was like, there is a change in this space, but there was a lot going on at that time. And I was like, it will just go away. It's like, it will just fix itself. I'll get a bleed and everything will be fine. Now, I knew intellectual, I think intellectually and um, intuitively, I knew that wasn't right, but there wasn't capacity at the time. And I think this is a big one for people, especially when you're pregnant, it's the amount of capacity you've got to give to something like that. It's like looking at a weed and going, oh, maybe that'll die on its own. Like it won't. You've got to pluck it out. You've got to replant. You've got to go back and check it again and replant again. Like it's, it won't go away. It's not a cold. It's a fundamental. uh, I I think that's a big part of 
people ignoring it at the start or because it, it's that known of how much capacity it's it's going to take. It's also a beautiful, like I, you know, often talk about what we experience is our body's way of communicating with us. And it's often a beautiful way of the body screaming about all the imbalance in our lives um, that is going on. And I think this is probably very fitting for the new year because often this season does throw us out of balance and something like this can be the body's way of going, whoa, time to come back, time to do those things that you know we need and we thrive on. Totally, and that's exactly right. This is just your body saying we're out of balance, bring it back. So, and I mean, that's the, the, well, first let's talk about what it looks like. So what happens? We You already twigged itching. So it feels like you want to itch inside your vagina, but also it can affect the skin and tissues on your vulva. And so you might get irritation on your vulva. It almost feels burning and hot and like something's rubbing. Yeah, rug burn. (laughs) So if you're wondering if you've got thrush, So it looks, so there's usually discharge. So firstly, yes, the itching, um, but usually before that, there's some kind of vaginal discharge and it can look white and clumpy. Like if you, okay, again, too much information, but here we are, this is our MO. Um, If you put a finger or two into your vagina and like bring out whatever's in there, it'll look thick and clumpy and white sort of chunks. It can also produce watery discharge, almost from inflammation. So like on your undies, it would look like just a patch of wet. Um, And as B already alluded to, uh, your vagina will smell different. A lot of things online say, you know, it doesn't affect the smell. But if you know what your vagina normally smells like, uh, you'll probably notice a change, which makes sense. So if you're changing the bacterial load or if there's an imbalance, usually the smell will change. I'm just going to go out there. Vulvas normally smell really good. 100%. Vulvas have a great smell. It does smell. It has a good smell to it when it's healthy. But typically when a vulva is imbalanced, it smells good. And don't use, we're not talking like nice smelling in terms of perfumes and soaps. No, natural fragrance. Like when you're like, ah, oh, like it's 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 attractive, which makes sense biologically that it would be. So if it had an offensive smell, people wouldn't want to reproduce with you, right? So biologically it makes sense that it's like, mm, that smells good. I want to be near that, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it is. It's a real thing. It smells good when it's not well, it doesn't. And you know the smell of your own vulva. Like yeah. let's not pretend that we don't know that, right? Like you know when your vulva's like, mm, yeah, I'm smelling good. Like everyone get up in it. Yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> and then when you know it, you're like, oh, I don't want anyone near that and I need to do something about it because it's it does. It makes you go, ooh, like it's offensive when it's not well. Yeah, so sniff test, everybody. We should know the smell of our own vaginas. And if the smell is off, then the microbiome is off. I think that we would know. We can know by smell. If you're connected to your body and you're aware. I mean, yes, I think we need to all agree that you need to know the smell of your own vulva. Because I don't need to know the smell of your vulva. B doesn't need to know, but you personally, listener, needs to know that what your vulva smells like when it's healthy so that you've got a, a sort of a you've got a baseline I feel like so many people are going to miss out on the epicness of this episode because they're not going to 
listen to it because they don't have thrush and then they're going to miss out. I feel like we need to do one just on your vulva. But anyway, hopefully they've come to it. We've got a lot of very um, loyal listeners who will just listen to anything we produce. So that's okay. Somebody's going to hear it. Okay, good. So we're up to diagnosis. So firstly, if it doesn't smell like it normally does when it's well, consider you need to do something and balancing your microbiome is not a bad place to start, whatever it is. But it will feel irritated, sore, burning, particularly after sex or penetration, because that's very aggravating to to the candida bug. It grows in colonies. So like it will kind of grow in colonies and clumps on the wall of your vagina. And when they're like aggravated and moved about by penetration or sex, it's like they behave angrily is the only way I can describe it. They've been disturbed. So they, they're they annoyed and they flare up. They do. And, you know, when... They're trying to find the rest of their colony. That Yeah, you've angered the colonies. So this happens... It's one of the symptoms of thrush is that it's worse after penetration. The other thing that aggravates it is the use of antibiotics, and it can also be the cause because our vaginas, like that's a, it's biosis. There is biotic life in there, microbiome in your vagina. Antibiotic is designed to kill stuff. And so if we've killed off a you might as well have cut down half the forest. It's but like Roundup. It's like Roundup. Oh, good with your analogy today, aren't I? It's like Roundup. On point. Next to the Roundup kills everything. Yeah, it's like killing half the plants in your garden and then wondering why the garden's not doing so well and why the weeds have started coming up again. We've we've killed off part of the ecosystem. And, and even thinking about antibiotic use in pregnancy for things like urinary tract infections, which can be a lot more common, and respiratory infections and things, be really considerate as of if you actually do need the antibiotics. You know, uh, there's a lot of sort of controversy around antibiotics at the moment. I mean, for a while, you know, we're building antibiotic resistance. So there is a call to kind of use it only if it's absolutely necessary. So what have we got? Yeah, antibiotics. The next thing you could do in order to find out if it's thrush that's giving you your symptoms is to get a vaginal swab. So it can, and and if you're a clinician and you're writing a referral for women to go and get this done, low vaginal swab, ask for a culture and sensitivity. And the reason for that is it'll tell you what's growing and what might kill it obviously what pharmacological things might kill it which can be super important because just like we're breeding super bacterias that are immune or that are resistant to antibiotics there are vaginal flora bugs that are becoming resistant to the antifungals that just keep getting thrown at women particularly if you've got chronic thrush so there can be you know up to 75% of women in their lives will have a bout of thrush but for five to ten percent of the population it's reoccurring and reoccurring means you get it four or more times a year so if you're in the reoccurring camp consider the possibility that you're actually growing a strain of candida that over time has become resistant to modern antifungals and 
you need to come up with some different strategies. Yeah, so culture and sensitivity uh, will help you decide, well, firstly, what the overgrowth is caused by because there's other things like bacterial vaginosis, for example, that can cause discharge, a change in smell, itchiness, discomfort. So you kind of want to work out what you've got so that you know what the treatment is because the treatment's different for bacterial vaginosis than candida uh, infections. So, yes, a low vaginal swab, find out what you're growing. They can tell you if there's sort of moderate or heavy growth so you kind of know how big your problem is. And now I'm not going to... After we talk about the diagnosis, we're going to go deep into treatment. Um, but, yes, the first step is is I would suggest that you don't always self, don't, don't self-diagnose this thing. I think it would be good to engage somebody who can give you a definite diagnosis so that you know the definite treatment rather than going around in circles and paying for all these products that could not actually be doing what you needed to do. Yeah, functional nutritionist. Yeah, or even a natural, like there's naturopaths, GPs. I mean, a lot of midwives are capable of, you know, getting a diagnosis for this as well. Yeah, so it's in making sure you connect with a healthcare provider who feels confident to help you through this process. Yes, definitely. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be accepting treatment off a healthcare provider who hasn't first yet checked and diagnosed it properly. Mm. Like I yeah. wouldn't accept from, you know, a GP or a midwife or anyone, nutritionist, naturopath, that says, oh, yeah, that's candida, that's thrush, here you go, use this. Get a diagnosis first before you go ahead and do it. So, and I'm sure this is what everybody's come for, the treatment, because, oh, my gosh, if you're listening to this episode and you've got thrush, your first question is how the heck can I get rid of this? So. As we said before, it's an imbalance. It's a microbiome imbalance. And for women who use pharmacological treatment, so the antifungal creams and things like that that you can that get used so often from chemists or if you're with a medical practitioner, this is probably the only thing that they will know to give you is an antifungal cream from a chemist with medication in it. The problem with that is that there's a high relapse rate because it's almost like, I mean, it's it doesn't change anything. It, it will wipe out the overgrowth of the thing that's going on, but it doesn't fix the base problem, which is the fact that your microbiome is out of balance and that's why there's been this overgrowth. The, the relapse rate is at least 50% of women will get thrush again after pharmacological treatment and it's because you haven't addressed the cause and it's because the creams don't address address the cause. Now, I started my healthcare life as a naturopath and something that that I was taught is that there can be some value to these creams initially. So, for example, let's keep going with the gardening analogy. If you're looking at a garden bed that's full of weeds, right and you think this needs a complete overhaul I almost need to strip it back replant and then keep pulling out the little weeds that keep coming back so there is some sense in if you're planning on a massive overhaul of your microbiome and your diet and your lifestyle and you're like right I'm going to fix this imbalance problem 
there can be some value in first doing a big clear out. So maybe a single attempt or a single dose or regime of these uh, pharmacological creams for the initial kind of almost like pulling out all the weeds before you start planting again. Because when you're going to rebuild your microbiome, consider that you gathering all of the beneficial plants that you need for a big garden bed, all of the ones that add nitrogen and the ones that need this and the ones that add that. And you're going to plant all those things in there. But if you plant all of those things in there in a bed full of weeds, pretty quickly the weeds are just going to start out competing all of these new beautiful plants that you just planted in your garden. And it's going to be some time before the plants are big and strong enough to actually start challenging the weeds. So there's some value to these products, but it's not as a single use thing or as the only thing that you do to get rid of it because it'll just keep relapsing. If your microbiome is still no good and you just keep wiping out the weeds, the minute you walk away, the only thing that grows back again is the weeds. It's not new, beautiful plants. It's not going to be all of the microbiome that you need to keep it healthy. I've got an indoor plant that has wild mushrooms that, are, that grows in it. And last night my husband was like, are you kidding me? I was like, what? He was like, look how big these mushrooms are. And I turned around, I was like, they weren't there this morning. And he was like, no, they were tiny. And like, they were absolutely minuscule in the morning. And by that night, they were big, massive mushrooms. And I'm like, we need to stick a time-lapse video up to like watch them because you would be so fascinated. Like they just grow so fast. But it's like, yeah, we need to actually like fix the soil properly because like we just keep pulling the mushrooms out and they keep growing. All of mycelium, like it's, you're not fixing the problem. You're just literally applying the cream that comes out, but it's like, well, the soil's still full of all the mushroom spores. So it's the same thing. So although I'm, I am not on board with the, with only using these antifungal creams as the only treatment high relapse rate, you end up getting resistant, you know, the candida becomes resistant to the treatment, then it becomes harder to get rid of and you're not addressing the root cause. But if it's part of a holistic management plan, I think they can have some value. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I think this should be done with somebody to support you as well. So the treatment, as we said before, it's a long haul. It's like approaching a nice clear garden bed where you want to clear it first pull out the weeds, plant the seeds, the beneficial seeds and seedlings and plants um, that are going to outgrow and keep the garden in balance. And at first, when you're planting a garden, so, you know, I'm a, you know, you know about permaculture, beaver. I'm a gardener. I'm a, we have a big farm and all about permaculture. When you first plant a garden, it needs a lot of human input. You've got to keep the weeds down, it needs mulching, you've got to feed the soil, the right plants, you've got to put the diversity in. It needs regular watering because young plants are delicate. Over time, that garden bed, if you've set it up beautifully, if it's in balance, it will feed itself with the plants that you've planted. The plants that need to grow big to create a canopy and sustain the understory, they'll all do their job. So ultimately, a permaculture garden shouldn't require too much human input. Every now and then we come in and do some trimming and pulling and and adapting. But overall, if you've done a good job, it should be able to sustain itself over time if it keeps getting what it needs, water, sunlight, nourishment, right? 
So, but at first, you can't rely on a, an infant, a small garden to survive. The minute it gets some heat, those poor little seedlings are wilted and dead. The roots need time to establish. So, this is a long haul adventure. If you've got thrush, think to yourself time to completely replant, rebalance, and work out what's going on. And I'm not talking weeks, talking months, right? Like, could be six months if this is even just for a single sort of thrush infection overgrowth in your mind think I'm going to rebuild I'm going to nourish and plant the right plants seeds everything and I'll tell you what those seeds and plants are like Uh, really as you're talking all I'm thinking about is this really would be epic to be part of our preconception knowledge and care mm -hmm. because you want to go into pregnancy with an epic garden um, your epic vaginal microbiome and postpartum as well. But obviously if you're listening to this, just big love because you're probably listening to this if you've got thrush and just, yeah, we've both been there and just a huge amount of love. I think we we love the quick fixes, especially when life is feeling challenging, which pregnancy can often bring the challenges, but know that you can heal and you can get back and your vagina can be better than it's ever been before. Totally. You know what else the benefit is, is that if, all of this stuff that you're going to do to improve the health of your, of your vagina is going to improve the health of your entire body because we, we're ground up. This is like full body healing. Mm. And interestingly, when I was researching for this episode, uh, there was a research paper that was looking at the use of probiotics for women who had thrush. And then when they um, talked to the women later about their experience of having used the probiotics and their impact on the thrush, they also started talking about all the other health benefits that they perceived occurred to them while they were working on their thrush, um, including like improved mood and all kinds of things, which we do know a healthy microbiome can be an amazing, have an amazing impact on your mental health. So even though the thrush has been the instigator of you taking action, you're actually about to engage by what I'm going to talk to you about in some full body healing. And that's going to be long-term healing. Yeah, well, again, if we talk about that the body is screaming at you for attention when we have these kind of symptoms, you start if you start connecting to it and you're aware of it and working with it, the body loves that and then the mind is a part of that. So it's just going to have a beautiful flow-on effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yes, although it feels daunting, just know that not only are you going to improve the micro the health of your vagina, you're going to improve the health of your body. It's This is just the motivating factor. So what do we need to do to tend to our vaginal gardens? First things first is not only do you need to be treating yourself, you actually also need to be treating your partner. And the reason is, is that it can be some some research will consider it um, a sexually transmitted thing that if your partner's got uh, an imbalance in their microbiome, you can just be passing this thing on to one another. Um, you can get also get oral thrush as well as vaginal thrush and you can get, like guys can get thrush on their penises. They're less symptomatic than women and so sometimes they don't even notice. Um, sometimes they really can notice. And so chat to your partner as well about, hey, have you had some stuff going on in your willy? Because on your penis, if your partner is male, it's not a willy, it's a penis. Hey, it's a penis? If your partner is male. 
yeah, how's your penis going? Hmm. Um, but this is transmissible. Well, maybe we're saying consider it. If you've done all this stuff to try and heal and nothing's working, consider that maybe you keep getting reinfected by your partner. Okay, so step one, most basic thing is we have to improve your microbiome. So there's lots of things you can do and some of these things might seem a bit out there. And, again, I'm coming from some of my naturopathic experience in this regard, but if you want to improve microbiome, probiotic supplementation, I'm not going to tell you which ones. You're going to have to do some legwork on that because there's a whole world of possible probiotics that you could have but you want diversity and the problem with some oral probiotics is that there's only a few strains of things and that's not balance because if you take too many oral or and I'll talk about it later vaginal probiotics you could create an imbalance the other way if you keep only introducing the same two or three strains of probiotic so you want diversity and the way to get that is to eat foods high in diversity. So the Greek yogurts often will have more diversity. But if you want to go with like hundreds of different possible strains of things, our fermented foods, sauerkrauts, kimchi, kombucha, water kefir, milk kefir, all of these things have got such diversity because they're not manufactured. They're food. And so you want to be having fermented foods in your diet daily. And there are things um, like prebiotics. Again, this is a, there's a whole science behind the microbiome. I'm not going to be able to go into all the detail, but we want to be balancing our diet with prebiotic and probiotic foods. And prebiotics almost feed, they feed the, pro, the microbiome, the good stuff in our bodies. There are things that we eat that feed the bad stuff. So if you've got candida and thrush infection, you'll know that the minute you have sweet foods, it's just like aggravated. I feel like the majority of our listeners who, like me, don't put a lot of energy into the food part of their life are just like, and turned it off by now. Because, like, I knew the first thing, I knew, I knew you were going to turn, like, the first thing you were going to say was fermented food. And I was just like, I remember being pregnant with my first baby and doing all that stuff. Like, I had something growing in my fridge. I don't even know. <laughs> I think it was kefir. <laughs> something growing. I had some mother that I was growing <laughs> something and I was doing all the things. So it was so amazing. And now I'm sitting here like, oh, so if you're listening to this being like, I don't have time for this, Mel, give me the other stuff that I've done for. I I hear you. I just want to say that. I just want to say I hear that portion of our listeners. But it's only now that my youngest is almost three that I feel like I've got capacity for that. I get it. But just shout out to all those people who do are doing it because I, I know I need to do it, but oh, just the capacity side of it. When it, when it's foreign to you, mm-hmm. when you don't have friends that do it, when you weren't a naturopath and that wasn't your life, it's it's very big and foreign because it's so unknown. So just it is. those listeners, I'm sorry. And she's I get right. it. I'm <laughs> right, and I get it because what? But think about this: if you don't spend time on your health now you are going to spend money on your disease later and 
the quality of your life is going to be so much more amazing if you don't have an itchy vulva all the time. I know. I feel like your food is my exercise. Like the way I talk about exercise is the way you talk about food. Like probably, possibly together we'd make the most perfect human in that aspect of like health and, and well-being and self-care. But like, you know, I feel like I understand now when I'm like, exercise is so amazing. It's what your body needs. And people are like, Ugh. like, I feel like that's what I do when you're like about all the good food. I'm like, oh, I just don't have time for it. I do have time for it. I just don't allocate. The time I have for it but I'm I'm going to I remember we did one episode kind of remember what it was on now and you spoke about oh I think it was dates and you were talking about food and like the next like three weeks after that episode we ate so well in this family because I was so motivated so now I'm just going to go and get a mother of something and like and have it in my fridge and, send and, you just, and just like if you've got the mother there you're one step closer so I mean, I can introduce you to my kitchen at the moment. There is water care for growing. There's kombucha scobies growing. We've got, I mean, I milk my own goats and I eat, I drink their raw milk. So that's like microbiome 100% because all the milk that you buy in the shelves is so heavily treated that all the good stuff's gone. Um, so I'm essentially drinking breast milk, but from a goat. We have Greek yogurt. Goat milk. Goat milk. Goat milk, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, but like it's not been treated. You know, like you know, when you breastfed a baby, cows, most people have cow's breast milk or cow's milk. But it's like heavily processed. Yes. In this was like raw. I can't sell it to you. It's illegal to sell it to you, but I can drink it myself. What? Oh, and I make sauerkraut and kimchi. And once you do it a few times, it's really super fast. Like you can literally do it while the dinner's on. Uh, I'm not going to tell people how to do all these things, but yeah, stay tuned. Let's have a retreat at Mel's house where we all get to go and live at Mel's house. And I feel like that's what I need. I need a week at Mel's house and be like, okay, I can do this now. Microbiome building exercise at Mm. Mel's house. So what I was... Mel's microbiome mother workshop. Yes, it's happening. Okay, stay tuned. There's not a mailing list yet, but just get on one of my mailing lists. What else to come? I just want it to be me. Okay, B will have a personal one. I feel like we could have an alter ego. Mel B would be our alter ego and she would be so fit and her microbiome would be amazing because she would be exercising and eating so well and she'd have the collective knowledge of both of us. So, okay, that's what you got to do. you got to get onto the fermented foods because that's going to give you diversity and for the rest of your life, never stop this. This is the basis of good health, but this is what you got to do. If you're not already doing it, this is what you do. Now, buy a goat. <laughs> go and buy a goat. <laughs> buy a goat and, and do kimchi while you've got dinner. That's the notes I've taken down. Go <laughs> and buy a goat. It's yes. I mean, oh gosh, you're getting there. Kudos for the attempt. Just then- acknowledging that your situation is very rare. It is 100% rare, but do you know what it isn't? It's what what it also is is very intentional. So when we bought property and built a house and did all these things, literally it was centered around how much room will I have for the goats and my veggie garden and the dream to just have children running through a magical land of lush food. So although it seems like it's been out of re- it's out of reach for most people, this has been like a 22 year long plan to have a lifestyle that lends to good health. And so 
it's not like, oh, yeah, I just suddenly like was born with knowledge of how to garden and milk a goat. This is like, no, I need enough space to sustain a healthy lifestyle. And I feel like this is the change that if you've got thrush that you almost need to start like going, okay, what needs to change in my life? If I if this is a chronic circumstance where my microbiome is out of balance, I need to reconsider what I'm putting in my body and how I'm living my life. Cause Which yeah. Is most health issues, right? Like mm. most health issues bring us back to the way we're the way we need to live. Mm. Most health issues get us off the conveyor belt. It's true. And and this lifestyle, this lifestyle of having goats and, you know, our chickens and um, growing our veggies, this is us tapping out of a of a of a world system that isn't in isn't health enhancing. Yeah. You know, even if you don't have a garden, sauerkraut can be made in your kitchen with a cabbage and some salt. While you're watching, while you're watching Big Bang Theory or War Friends, whatever you want to watch, massage some cabbage, babe, with some salt. All right, next thing we need to do. So your your good bacteria needs prebiotics, probiotics, all this good fermented stuff to keep going. Now, what then what you want to do is starve out the candida. Candida loves sugar and carbohydrates. So if you are craving sugar and carbohydrates, it could actually be your candida controlling your brain. And we know this. We know that if your microbiome is out of balance, the things that are keeping it running will tell your brain what it needs to survive. And so the candida is going to be telling your body, eat enough sugar, we want to thrive, right? But if your microbiome's healthy, you will actually, and I know this makes no sense to people who don't already feel this, you will want to eat healthy food because your microbiome has power over your mind. And that's why when people fix their microbiomes, they can actually turn around some elements of mental illness if they have been governed previously by the microbiome. So if you've got an imbalance, you'll be craving carbohydrates, sugars, and all kinds of things. When you cut that off, there's going to, you are going to anger, anger the colonies again. They're going to start dying. They're going to get hungry and they are going to be screaming to your brain to eat some sugar because they get hangry. They get so hangry and they want to live, right? So they are, it's their, this is their last ditch attempt at survival. What you need to do is overcome those few days of absolute microbiome screaming at you and they will die off. If you starve them with no processed foods, no sugar, cut out fruit juice, soft drinks, anything sweet. You can have a few bits of fruit. You don't need to completely cut out like, you know, every single bit of sugar because your body still needs some of that, but nothing processed. Sub sub out your white pasta, white rice, whatever it is for some brown stuff or cut it out for a few days. It's not going to hurt you for a few days, but what you want to do is really knock out the high levels of candida. The cream could do that but also cutting out sugars could really knock it down. And then what that gives is your good bacteria an opportunity to thrive because it needs good, healthy food, 
fruit, veggies, all of the whole foods. So not only by reducing your sugars, you're going to reduce the bad growth, you'll simultaneously increase the good growth of your good bacteria by eating well. And then you got to maintain it for just like give it some months of maintenance so that you can really get it in. This is like daily pulling the weeds out of your garden and then feeding the plants that you just planted, adding more. So when you're adding the probiotics, it's like adding seeds and plants to this garden and then feeding it with good nourishing foods, low processed foods. That's you watering, fertilizing the garden and then cutting out sugars. It's like you going through and pulling out all those little nasty weeds every day. And what you're going to get is this beautiful, thriving, diverse garden that's low on weeds. Over time, your microbiome will be able to sustain itself. And so this initial hard work can be sustained. Once you've got your microbiome in balance, if you don't do something massively dramatic, like take a huge, long, lengthy dose of antibiotics or have a massive stressful event or start eating just junk food forever, you can actually establish a microbiome that will last. And it, this is just an initial intensive treatment to get this garden established. And then it's all just maintenance. So like in a permaculture garden, you're just going in there, trimming off the edges, pulling out a few weeds that got out of control. You're not going to have this reoccurring illness all the time. So that's that. And a little bit of a word now about um, some intensive treatments you can do for probiotics. You can take oral probiotics, but the other thing you can do is vaginal probiotics. And this could be a little bit, it's it's an undertapped management strategy so I'm going to go carefully because I know I'm speaking from probably a lot more of my alternative medicine background but there yeah, is but some of the brands that like some of the brands that we stock in our shop on online shop they're quite forward about the fact that you can use them as pessaries like they created yeah. them the way they did so they could be used as vaginal pessaries so I feel like it's becoming more known about yeah. because you're you're putting the tablet or the probiotic into the space where it's needed rather than swallowing it having it go through your gastrointestinal tract to then get to the vagina which I guess that's what we do with food as well but but lactobacilli the ones that you need in your vagina aren't always really well like they don't sustain themselves well through the whole digestive process like they're good if you want to reinstate your gut microbiome but do they have a massive immediate impact on your vaginal microbiome is kind of the question. And that's why people, because there is some research around putting um, things like kefir, is it kefir? Am I saying that right? Kefir? Yeah, kefir, like the milk kefir. Milk, milk kefir and, um, and or yogurt. And we're talking like natural yogurt here, nothing with like fruit or sweeteners in, directly to the vulva and vagina and there was a study in 2000 and I think it was 15 that showed that actually helped people more with the symptoms and so these things are not like a long-term management plan none of this probiotic no. stuff is what you would stay on for years and years and years this is just like the initial planting because then your body can sustain and grow these things it's almost like they self-seed right like a 
you know, like plants when they create flowers and seeds and then they drop seeds and then all of a sudden it can grow its own little garden, which is what happens if you leave things alone. But if you've only planted three types of plants and your garden needs 15 in order to be healthy, you're just going to grow those three plants. You still have an imbalance. And that's where the fermented foods come in because there's diversity in there that you can't possibly put in a pill. Um, and also uh, the soil, soil microbiome is really significant. So when you're growing your own foods, uh, your the microbiome in your soil is significantly different to mass-produced food. It's heavily washed and treated and there's antifungals and anti anti things on your vegetables when they come to you they've actually been sprayed with things so they don't get moldy and fungus and all things in transit not organic if they're not organic correct so when you grow something at home it actually has microbiome on it like it has a diversity of bacteria on the homegrown veggies this soil is not bad good soil is not you know I don't wash my veggies intentionally because I'm like, there's some good stuff on this. I need to diversify what is on and in my body and my children's bodies. So, you know, there's just you need diversity from the world. You're not going to get it from a pill. But initial treatments, uh, if they, there's been some particular strains of probiotics that when inserted vaginally for thrush have been shown to have some good effect. And in fact, the research uh, some of the people who are pioneering this research are IVF clinics. And what they found is for their clients who have things like reoccurring miscarriage or who are having trouble getting pregnant, if they do um, early conception or pre-conception uh, probiotic pessaries, uh, vaginal pessaries, they actually significantly increase the chances of getting and sustaining a pregnancy. And so, you know, that that's part of it but definitely we can be yeah you know even if you can't do all that you can buy things like raw kombuchas and raw kimchi and raw um, sauerkrauts in the shops uh, if you feel like you can't do it yourself just start there and particularly think about this as just you planting your new garden you don't necessarily need to be on these things like buy these things for your whole life you know, when you've got capacity later, make a couple of batches of kimchi, make some sauerkraut. Like you could do it once for the whole year, these things. So there's two strains of probiotics that have been specifically researched for the purpose of competing with and overcoming the candida bug. So, uh, and I again, I don't know if I'm going to be able to see these properly, but Saccharomyces cerevisiae or Bulliardi. So there's a SB. SB is the shortened, and there's a product. I think it's. Oh, I'm, I'm not affiliated with this brand, but Inner Health has a product called Candex SB, and this is the strain, one of the strains that's in there. And this SB strain is the one you want to go for. So if you're looking at your probiotic package, there's a particular strain, Sac Saccharomyces bulliardi, bulliardi, SB. It competes on the cell with the candida bug. So it's got the power to actually detach the candida from your body cell so that the candida isn't tapped into your nourishment and um, take up that receptor site. So again, it's it's a temporary solution. It's not long-term solution. But that strain, and then there's the lactobacillus casei uh, raminosis. 
is another one that they've been testing for vaginal uh, vaginal suppository for candida. Now, again, do not spend your entire pregnancy putting probiotics up your vagina because you're going to end up with an imbalance the other way. So this is short term. I would suggest, and again, this is very anecdotal, have not got a study for this. This is just something I've picked up over the years of experience and having had to work through this myself and for my previous clients when I was much back. One week of one pessary, so before bed, one probiotic pessary in your vagina for one week. Um, so seven, seven times. Then that should knock off the initial symptoms, the initial itching. Hopefully it's just enough for symptomatic relief. And then you can do a maintenance dose of just one vaginal pessary per week. Again, not forever, maybe for another six weeks or so. Consider that you planting the garden, putting some seedlings in, laying down the seeds. The rest of the journey is you watering, nourishing that garden, plucking out the weeds by not eating sugar, by eating good food, by adding fermented foods. You know, go and free stress in your life. I do want to mention that. So really, yeah, looking at what is going on for you mentally and emotionally. What, you know, can we feel our feelings more? Can we drop into our body more? Can we do things that decrease the amount of stress we're having? Because we're really wanting the immune system to be able to work in balance too. So I really, when I look at thrush, I look at, well, what's, what else is going on in your life as well? Um feeling feeling the feelings and then you know the usual stuff of like drying your undies in the sun and and pulling the active wear down when you're not being active like just wear that you know what kind of habitat is surrounding the garden um let it breathe yeah yes exactly and and the other thing that you can so and then the other thing is um sex or or penetration because that can irritate it see if you can have a little break from that or top tip and again too much information somebody else another practitioner shared this with me and I just feel like I need to pass on the information although penetrative things can irritate it there is some value to kind of doing a clear out I'm not I'm not suggesting douching you know, where there used to be this massive drive behind like flushing your vagina out, do not do that. But if you can digitally remove some of the vaginal discharge that happens with thrush, you can reduce the initial load, candida load that's built up in your vagina. And you'll see it. If you've got thrush and you put your fingers in there and, and do like a bit of a clear out, you'll see it on your hands, on toilet paper, wherever you are. It can have an initial, it would be initially a little bit irritating, but could actually make you feel better in the, even that day. A topical coconut oil can also be super, um, not balancing. It sort of has a bit of an antifungal, antimicrobial activity. So just on the outside, if you've got outside irritation, coconut oil can be a really nice addition while you're trying to just symptomatically relieve it and vulval ice packs for the, that severe itching similar to if you're healing after birth and I just want to cover things not to do with thrush 
Yeah, so you, I'm glad you said the douches um, because they really, and some of the products that are marketed towards this really should be banned because they just ruin our vaginal flora. So, again, like the vulva is and the vagina, they are incredible parts of the body that self-cleanse. They do not need any smelling products. Like water is all you need to wash your vagina with. You don't need any soaps or smelly things on your vulva at all. Like I still, I just can't believe we have products that are that are for that because it's not. Then they're not great for the um, vaginal flora at all. And yes, never soap on your vagina. Never. You're really washing a lot of the healthy microbiome away right yeah and and then as you were saying with your undies dry them out in the hot sun not in the dryer over and over because these spores like they can survive the washing and drying process if it's just not hot enough Um, and this is a big thing living in areas where it was humid all the time like it just felt like your undies would never dry that's really really tricky but yeah in the in the sunlight um, and it's the same, like, you know, with baby nappies, you put them in the moonlight and the poo, the sun and the moonlight and the poo stains just disappear. You're like, And other things, like if you've got chronic thrush, consider that maybe either just doing a full replacement of all of your undies, some mm. cotton, basic cotton undies, yes. full replacement, um, or you can do a really like disinfecting wash with like tea tree oil and some things that are really going to knock out that candida on the undies. Yeah, when I had it last year, it was time to get new undies. I was like, I even gave away all the, I didn't give them to anyone. I threw them in the bin. Um, All my old pregnancy undies, I was like, nah, everything's going. It is time for a fresh restock, which um, is The other thing I don't recommend is putting um, essential oils like tea tree or lavender on a tampon and inserting it into your vagina. Do that, do they? People do put those things in their vaginas. Because yeah, they're they are they are in a lab. Tea tree oil and lavender oil can kill the candida bug, but they've not been tested in vitro, like in place. We also don't really know the impact of those particular essential oils on um, you know, if you're putting them in your vagina, what they're gonna do to your cervix and the mucus plug and all kinds of things like that. So I wouldn't recommend it. It, it would be equivalent to using those medicinal creams if you were going to use something like essential oils. It's the initial clean-off. It's the initial knock-off of the bad stuff, but it's not a long-term treatment. It's a Band-Aid treatment like any of those pharmacological creams. It, it's possibly okay to use those with some carrier oil on the outside, but I wouldn't be inserting the vaginally. The other thing, yes, we already spoke about not douching. Do not put raw garlic cloves into your vagina. Bees laughing. Did you do it? I feel like every midwifery conference I've been to, they've like that's like not um, the crunchy ones. The crunchy ones. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of people are going to be shocked that you said that. Do not put raw garlic cloves into your vagina. 
I will say yeah. I'm a huge fan of swallowing raw garlic, raw garlic, swallowing Swallow. the barley, especially for mastitis, because in the Solomon Islands, though we didn't have antibiotics and we didn't have all the fancy things, but we did have garlic. I would serve that up and that mastitis yeah. would come on. And that's all I had in the Solomon. So yes, but not, I mean, I've heard vaginally, I've never done it. Um, I definitely use probiotic pessaries, but um People swear by it. So I'm I've I'm a little shocked. I feel like some of our listeners will be too, that you hey, aren't for that. Not on board. So it's so in natural medicine, so what you can do is you can chop garlic cloves up, mix it into some manuka honey, and you can take that orally, right? But again, this will kill off bad things. It will not add good things. So this is the weeding. Okay, this is the kill off the candida part of it but in natural therapies we you can make a garlic what we call a garlic poultice if you've got an infection under your skin or something something sort of more severe if you put a garlic poultice on it will draw out pus and infection like almost as is it as if it's exploded out of your skin it's really dramatic super strong but garlic cloves in your vagina have been linked to accidental rupture of membranes because it's so corsic. It's like so aggressively, it can be really damaging. And just like I've seen it draw infections out of skin, can uh, rupture membranes. It's also if you, and they say you should, it, when people do this, they say, no, no, you keep the like, there's a, if you know, when you chop garlic, if you just peel the skin off, there's kind of this little layer around it that it's not wet. You know that it's, that part's not going to burn your skin. But if you chop it and some of the wetness gets on your fingers, really smells of garlic. So people say you've got to keep that external layer intact and then you won't burn the skin like in your vagina. But it's hard to do. And then also, yeah, it's got, there's some risks involved. There's things like, the probiotic pessaries, much safer, much gentler, but you can accidentally burn the inside of your vagina with a garlic clove. Just don't. That's my suggestion. No time should that happen. I think we've overwhelmed people enough today. It's been a big episode. Oh, I've got a little bit more overwhelm. Please go for it. That's that's what I wanted to say to people. I also do think this needs to be done with your care provider. Don't take my word for it. Disclaimer, this needs to be diagnosed and managed with a care provider that you trust that aligns with your philosophy. Yeah, and that's and that's the biggest point that I really wanted to get across. Um, a beautiful GP reached out to me after I did some um, posts on Thrush recently um, and, and that was her point to really stress and I felt like I'd done it in the post but maybe I hadn't done it um, good enough. So um, here's the whole podcast on it now. Hopefully that meets her requirements. But um, she basically, this is her story and I wanted to share it. She said, you know, recurrent thrush presentation really needs a vulval, a vulvat slash vaginal exam, obviously with appropriate consent, of course, if someone's happy for that, because the symptoms involved, like the itch, pain, discharge can be a mirror myriad of things and so she this is what she's seen in her clinical practice retained tampons yeah no one saw if you're watching this you would have seen Mel's reaction but she just did what I knew and that's why I was like I'm going to overwhelm people here but yeah retained 
tampons, STI, so sexually transmitted infection, BV, which we did mention, um, lichen scoliosis, which I mentioned. I'm only reading this text now. It was sent to be my bad PA and I hadn't read it properly. And I'm now I'm like, oh, I mentioned a, a couple of other things, you know, and I remember going to the uh, chemist and she was like, have you had someone look at this? Like, cause they record how many times you've gone to, and yeah, you can chemist shop, but if you got to think, okay, why am I doing this? Am I chemist shopping so that no one's asking me a question about it? Why aren't you going to get diagnosed properly? Why aren't you calling in healthcare providers? Is it a time thing? Is it a money thing? I get it if it's both of those. But I think what we really want to stress is, as Mel just said, this needs to be done in conjunction with a care provider. Mm-hmm. We're giving some information today, but this, this podcast does not replace any kind of treatment or management whatsoever. Please go and see a care provider to ensure that what you're you know, that you're treating the right thing um, and get a proper diagnosis. The other thing she talked about was postpartum vaginal atrophy. So um, can all be misdiagnosed. And we, I, you know, when I was doing the research on the Instagram post that I did, that was huge about people just being diagnosed with recurrent thrush and it actually wasn't. So we want to ensure that we're treating um what we what we think we're treating is what is actually happening to us and that it's not something else. The other thing that she mentioned that I have seen a lot in the research too that we haven't mentioned today is really um, talking about diabetes screen because they do go hand in hand. So get it um, getting it's a, it's a risk factor for rare current thrush. So if you, if you know you're experiencing rare current thrush um, and you, you're trying to look at the underlying cause. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this and you're pregnant, we do diabetes screens in pregnancy. But if you've come to this outside of pregnancy, really important, especially if you're like, oh, yeah, you know what? I had gestational diabetes. We get that six-week postpartum check and, and it, that can be all good. But how many years postpartum are you now? What is going on for you? So that is just something that um, comes under it. So yeah, I thought the retained tampon may overwhelm people as well. I was like, GPs and ED people, you guys see it all. Like I <laughs> see it all. I, you know, that retained tampon, I, I went, cause I use a menstrual cup. And I said to my husband, if I am ever unconscious, like in ICU, can you make sure that you have like proof of life on my menstrual cup? Is it sitting where it belongs? If not, it could be inside me. Make sure they know. So the same things with tampons. Yeah, I don't that I think that is sound advice that every human that puts something in their vagina needs another human to know about. I don't use anything. I don't put anything in my vagina. Um you need a wristband that says yeah and I contraception think- too i think like people i think i think these things should be known about us in terms of yeah i like i i if i get bitten by another snake i have a huge risk of reacting to the anti-venene oh because I've had so much anti-venene in my life and in my body, I actually that's probably a greater risk of death of having an anaphylaxis to that. And I'm like, I need a wristband because if I do, I feel like if anyone's going to get bitten by another snake, it'll be me. So my husband knows. And when I lived in a rural area, um, when I lived in country Victoria and we did have snakes on the property, I made sure that all the like doctors I worked with actually knew, like if I come in, and you see me unconscious in ED, remember, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> this isn't my first snake bite. So, yeah, it's hilarious what you're like. You feel like needs to be on a wristband for people oh, to yeah. know about you in an emergency. Oh, Check my vagina. Is there something yeah. in it? 
you know, menstrual cup in situ. Like, you know, you just, it's like, you know, diabetics. They, you know, if you find someone in countries that will do, they have their diabetic band, maybe they're having a hypo. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, this woman's been, like, she's here in an emergency. Has she got a menstrual cup or a tampon in? I mean, anyway, we've gone off topic, but that's good for the end because it was a heavy topic. We just added some lightness. So, ladies, this is a beautiful opportunity to rebalance, reevaluate your life, buy acres, buy goats, plant a garden, um, do it hard. I feel like acreage property just went up. We just contributed to the financial market of goats. I'm going to go buy some shares in goats before this episode comes out. I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen, but now I'll probably regret it in the future. There are things you can do in your own kitchen. You can buy good probiotic yogurt. You can buy go to the shops now. I'm going to get some Smarties because we have to remake some gingerbread that got killed yesterday. Uh, and I'm going to buy some Smarties and some cabbage and counteract it. Probiotics for everybody, whether you have thrush or not. But, you know, if you have thrush, you're just starting from the beginning of your garden. If you don't, you've probably got some good established plants there that will help you along. But start planting. All right, that kicked off 2024 with a massive, itchy, big bang. Um, (laughs) And we're going to keep rolling. We'll see you in the next episode. See you in the next episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. All right. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! Um, <laughs> all right.